You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. One semester of law school. One semester of criminal justice. Two experts. I'm Kristen Caruso. I'm Brandi Egan. Let's go to court. On this episode, I'll talk about the threat of foreclosure. And I'll be talking about a stalker. Hmm. Stalkers freak me out. Mm, this one's creepy. Yeah, as opposed to all the other ones. Yeah, you know, there's so many lighthearted stalkers <laughs> out there. That are just so flattering. <laughs> I know. They're just constantly complimenting you and just like, you know, showing up with gifts and stuff. <laughs> Nothing to be worried about. <laughs> okay, anyway, anyway. How you doing today? I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good. Hmm. Hmm. Just gave Normikins a haircut. Don't call him Normikins. <laughs> Wait, that's only for you? That's my special bedroom name. <laughs> no, he has me call him the gaming historian in bed. <laughs> Can you imagine? And he won't let you make eye contact with him. And I just have to ask him questions about video games. <laughs> anyway, this is off to a weird start. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, should we plug our Patreon? Yeah. What, what do we got on there? Huh? Oh, my gosh. We have an amazing bonus. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> an amazing bonus video from last month. Uh, yeah. And this coming month. So people went crazy for... Uh, the video of us reading my elementary school diary. Yeah. You guys. There's more there where that came from. Uh, there's a middle school diary. And in it, I roast the hell out of Brandy. Yep. For <laughs> sitting too close to my man okay, during a well. movie. <laughs> no, you know what? No. I'm going to let it play out on the video. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to defend myself, but not even going to. Listen, according to the historic text that we have, <laughs> you had a crush on multiple boys at the time. I had a crush on just one. You hadn't told anybody you had a crush on him. You should have known. <laughs> <laughs> to this day, I had no idea until you read it out of your diary. <laughs> <laughs> I played my cards very close to the vest. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, you were just like sitting your butt down next to any old guy, <laughs> <laughs> luring them away from you. Yeah, me. that's exactly mm-hmm. what I was doing. <laughs> yeah. In addition to that <laughs> amazing video, uh-huh. there's also bonus episodes. There's 14 bonus episodes on there now. My God, count them! Folks. And to get the bonus episodes, you'll have to sign up at the five dollar level. I'm so glad you banged the table for that. Five dollars. Yeah, people love that when we do that. You can get yourself a five dollar foot long. Or ew, don't go to Subway. <laughs> They've heard the Jared Fogel episode. They <laughs> He's know that's still associated with Subway. Um, they kept him for too You're long. Right. They and definitely they knew, did. And I'm sorry because I know those restaurants are franchised. So I, I apologize. <laughs> so no, anyway, this is weird. Yeah, don't support a child molester. <laughs> Join our Patreon. <laughs> We're trying out a few different pitches, guys. What do you think of that one? 
At the $5 level, you get all of our bonus episodes and into the Discord. At the $7 level, you get all that, plus a sticker, our lovely autographs, the horrible videos of me reading from my diary. And at the $10 level, that's the Bob Moss level. The Richie Rich level. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's when you get ad-free episodes and you get them a day early. And you get a dog whose spots are dollar signs. (laughs) (laughs) That's a Richie Rich reference. Okay. I was like, what the fuck was that? (laughs) Okay. I'm very excited for your case because, Mm. I mean... You like a stalker, don't you? I, I know it's weird to say. I, I like hearing about kidnappings and yeah. stalkers. I know that's weird. Yeah. So I saw this case on Reddit and immediately was like, Google, 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 is there enough to do this case? Uh-huh. And then someone, a.k.a. Dirty Slut Goblin, recommended <laughs> it in the Discord. By the way, in our Discord, you choose your names. Brandy didn't just label someone. <laughs> I did not. Um, recommended it in the Discord. And I was like, I just read about this on Reddit. And she's uh-huh. like, that's where I saw it, too. And then I was like, Kristen, don't you dare even, like, glance over here. I'm calling Dibby Dibs right now. Okay. So, here we go. All right. It all started, innocently enough, one day in December of 2015, Amanda Playle, a nursery worker in her late 30s from Bexhill, East Sussex, England. I knew it. When you said nursery worker, I was like, that's not what we call them. <laughs> um, fun fact, Bexhill's newspaper is called Bexhill on the Sea something or other. So I guess Bexhill's on the sea. <laughs> anyway, Amanda got a friend request from her old high school boyfriend, Anthony Reynolds. How old was she at this point? She was in her late 30s. Okay. Okay. Ooh. All right. Amanda wasn't surprised by the friend request. Anthony had kind of a habit of popping in and her out of her life every few years. So she accepted the request and the two began exchanging messages. Initially, the messages were your pretty standard catching up messages. They talked about their lives, what they were up to these days, work, kids, etc. Anthony learned that Amanda had married their schoolmate, Paul, um, and that they had three daughters together. But as the conversations got more serious, more in-depth, Amanda let Anthony in on the state of their marriage. She and Paul had been together since they were 16. And after 27 years of marriage... when you said ex-boyfriend, you really meant like from like... From like 14? Yeah. Wow, okay. So Paul and Amanda had been together since they were like 16. And after 27 years of marriage, Amanda admitted to Anthony that things were... Maybe not as exciting as they once were. She alluded to the fact that her life had become a little bit lackluster and even made a comment about how if someone picked her up out of her life and set her down on a beach with a cocktail and a book, she'd be a happy lady. I mean, well, that's... Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Isn't that all of us? Right, exactly. It wasn't long after that comment that Amanda realized that maybe she'd said too much. And maybe she was giving Anthony the wrong idea because the tone of Anthony's messages began to change. They went from catching up and reminiscing to taking on a much more flirtatious tone. Um, The flirtation began to increase. And while Amanda enjoyed the attention at first, she realized she needed to put an end to it when Anthony asked her to meet for drinks. Amanda realized that she was dangerously close to crossing a line or maybe 
her toes were already on that line. She thought about her husband, Paul, and how she would feel if he were carrying on with an old female friend like this. Mm -hmm. And she decided that she wouldn't be pleased. And so she needed to stop messaging Anthony. Amanda declined Anthony's invitation for drinks and told him that while she might not be as happily married as she once was, she was in fact married and had a family. So continuing their correspondence would be inappropriate. And that was that for a few weeks. Then Anthony began messaging Amanda again. Only this time, the messages had a much different tone. The messages were aggressive and accusatory. He called her obscene names, including slag. Oh, which, yeah. Yeah, they don't like that there. I, I'd never heard that term before. Mm-hmm. Um, d- gave, it a, gave it a little Google. Yeah. It apparently means slut. Yeah. Yeah. Not a nice thing to be called. <laughs> um, he asked her if her family knew who she really was. Did they know about their affair? Okay. What? He threatened to destroy her entire life. Ew. Yeah. This guy. He said that he'd tell her family about what she'd been up to. He threatened to contact her employer. He knew she worked at a daycare. He said he was going to contact her bosses and tell them she wasn't fit to take care of children. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Because she was out slutting around all the time. What did he have on her exactly? Nothing. Like she'd been flirty. Yes. That's the extent of what he had. Okay. Yeah. You know, I think it's unfair that daycare workers aren't allowed to flirt with anybody. <laughs> well, that's the standard we hold them to, Kristen. <laughs> the threats went on and on. Mm. So Amanda deactivated her Facebook account. Yep. She was like, that'll put no, an end to that. It. Yep. Yeah. But somehow she started getting emails from Anthony. And she was like, how the fuck did he get my email address? Yeah. So she blocked him so that he couldn't email her. But then somehow her Facebook. Were they living in the same town? She didn't know. Okay. Okay. She wasn't, that wasn't like a conversation they'd had like, oh, you know, you live here. She hadn't disclosed where she lived and he hadn't disclosed where he lived. Okay. Okay. Um, But uh, close enough that he was asking if they wanted to meet for drinks at some point. Okay. Um, So the, the assumption is that, yeah, he still lived nearby. All right. Um, so he's emailing her now because she deactivated her Facebook. And so she blocks him so he can't email her. And so suddenly her Facebook has been reactivated. What? Yeah. She didn't do it. All of a sudden it's active again and she's getting messages from Anthony. This cycle of like deactivating her Facebook, blocking him on an email. All of a sudden her Facebook's reactive again. This kept happening over and over again. Uh, So she assumed that he had found a way to hack her Facebook. Okay. And it was as if she couldn't get away from Anthony. No matter what she did, he just kept popping back up. And the threats kept coming. At one point, she was receiving as many as 300 messages a day (gasps) from him. Oh. And then... It escalated. When Anthony wasn't getting the response he wanted from Amanda, so she went to just stop responding to his messages. She couldn't figure out how to keep him blocked, keep her Facebook deactivated. She even like went as far as to like try and delete her whole Facebook account. Uh-huh. Somehow he'd always get back in contact with her. 
so when he wasn't getting the responses that he wanted from her, he managed to track down contact information for Amanda's closest friends and family members, including her parents. And he began to message them. He texted her parents. Did you know Amanda meets me every weekend at a hotel? He got their phone number? Yes. Do you know she leaves her children to come sleep with me? Do you know what a slag your daughter is? At this point, Amanda had like come clean to her husband, Paul, about her initial interaction yeah. with Anthony. Yeah. But she was adamant that like that's as far as their interaction had gone. Mm-hmm. She had never done anything beyond message him. They'd never met in person. Nothing. Now her parents were involved and they were beginning to question how truthful Amanda was being about this situation. Oh, my God. How had Anthony gotten their contact information? And so since they're getting text messages from Anthony, uh-huh. they asked him that. And he answered them. He said that when Amanda had met him in a hotel room, once she'd fallen asleep after they'd had sex, he went through her phone <gasps> and got their number. Come on. Out of her phone. And she's like, so her parents are like, why are you lying about this to us? Like, you can tell us the truth. And she's like, I'm not lying. Yeah. I, I've never slept with him. I've. I, I don't know I don't know how he got your information, but it certainly wasn't out of my phone while I was sleeping after hooking up with him. Yeah. He's lying. Oh. Fuck. And in an interview that I listened to with uh, Amanda, she said, you know, I didn't I couldn't fault them for questioning me. Sure, of course. Because it seems crazy. How is this person? Yeah, how did he get yeah. their number? Yeah. Uh, ultimately, her parents were like, just come clean to us. You know, just tell us the truth so we can help you with this situation. Right. You know, this is ridiculous. This is having like a huge impact on your life. Mm-hmm. And continuing to lie about it's not doing you any good. Oh, and she's God. like, I'm not lying. There is nothing worse than telling the truth and everyone thinking you're full yes. of shit. Yes, yes. Ultimately, somehow, she got her parents to believe her. At least they told her they believed her. And messages to them from Anthony stopped. But messages to Amanda did not stop. And by now, this had had, like I said, a huge impact on Amanda's life. She was growing more and more paranoid. She was depressed. And she was embarrassed. She felt like this was all her fault. She was, which is just terrible. She's being harassed and she's just blaming it. she's blaming herself. Yes. Which, you know, you do that. Of course, of course. She had welcomed the, like, this is what she's saying about herself. Like, she had welcomed the attention in in the beginning. She, you know, she liked the way it made her felt. And this is what she got for that. Like, this. Yeah, 300 harassing messages in a day. Right. Sure, you deserve (laughs) that. You deserve it. (laughs) But the embarrassment over it. Yeah. Kept her, keeping most of it inside. Keeping her from certainly getting any help for it. Yeah. She was super lucky, though. Because she had her husband, Paul. She called her husband, Paul, her rock. She could talk to him about the whole ordeal. He, you know, supported her through the whole thing, assured her that it wasn't her fault. Like, you know, it's this guy's crazy. You didn't do anything to deserve this. But when she asked him, like, do you think that I should 
go to the police about this. He was like, I don't I don't think so. I don't think they'll do anything. You know, it hasn't gotten to the point where he's actually physically done anything to you. And so he discouraged that a little bit. Did he? Mm-hmm. But Amanda was just so thankful to have him by her side <laughs> for support and to make her feel safe because things were about to escalate again. Things had actually been quiet and calm for a few weeks until one day Amanda went for a run. While she was on her run, she received a message from Anthony saying something like, how was your jog? Uh, You just ran past me. Oh, no. Amanda's blood ran cold at the thought. Yep. She was running in her own neighborhood. Yep. Was he really watching her? She decided to message him back and call his bluff. Mm -hmm. She said, no, I didn't pass anyone on my run. And he said, yes, you did. You're wearing a blue tracksuit and a gray beanie. Which is exactly what Amanda had on. She ran home. She was terrified. And from that day, she began looking over her shoulder everywhere she went. This guy could be anywhere. Yep. Had he found where she lived, this took it beyond threatening messages. She was terrified now. A few days later, Amanda was out shopping when she received another message. Nice handbag. Should we meet at that Starbucks? Oh. Amanda was carrying a new purse and was passing by a Starbucks. And her husband knew this? Uh, you know, I don't know. Mm, I think I do know. <laughs> that day, Amanda, again, rushed home and she began to fear leaving her home. Anthony was clearly watching her. It was like he knew where she was at all times. The messages became more specific. The harassing messages continued. Amanda said at this point, it was like Anthony knew what she was going to think before she thought it. The messages were so specific. It was like he was inside her brain. This would drive you absolutely crazy. Absolutely. She grew more and more paranoid and more and more reclusive. If her husband or children were gone more than a few minutes, she'd begin to panic that something had happened to them, that Anthony had found them and done something to them. <sighs> it was it was horrible. Yeah. She talked to her husband Paul again like about how much this had escalated and asked them asked her again, should she go to the police? You know, how 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 could she stop this? Mm-hmm. And he said again, you know, you know, I just don't think that there's a lot that the police can do do for you. Bullshit. And and so Bullshit. she didn't. Then. Okay, now. Yeah. No, I, I do want to pause. Yeah. This is how we know it's bullshit. I feel like women know that the police can't slash won't do much in stalking cases. I don't think I men don't, know that. Right. And so. Mm, raising my You eyebrow. think Paul has an ulterior motive here? Yeah, I sure fucking do. So Amanda listened to Paul and decided not to go to the police. But this just continued. The messages continued. The constant fear that she was being watched continued. And then one Sunday morning, she woke up and there was a message from Anthony. It said, I see you still play our song in your car. What the fuck? Amanda didn't know what it meant. Yeah, I at see first. you still play our song. Mm-hmm. And then 
she suddenly had an idea of what it meant. She got up out of bed, ran downstairs, and looked outside, and all of her car doors were open. (gasps) The car that she was positive that she had locked. Of course. The night before. She went out there, and all the CDs from her car were splayed out on I'm her sorry, seat. What I know. Year was I, this? It's, it's 2015. It's 2015. What's she doing with CDs <laughs> okay. in her car? Anyway. I mean, I think we're focusing on the wrong thing here. <laughs> no, we're not. This is the problem. But all of the CDs in her car were like laid out on the seat uh-huh. of her car, and then like one CD that had a specific song on it was like on top, and it was some song that had been like their song in high this school. This is fucked up. What was the song? I don't know. Chumba Wumba. <laughs> Tub thumping, yes. It's <laughs> a very romantic. And she song. was like, you know what? I get knocked down, but I, but get, I get up, up again. again. You're never, never going to get me down. down. <laughs> this was it for Amanda. Yeah, she knew mm-hmm. that she had locked that car the night. Yeah, before. I'm dealing with a fucking psychopath. And there were my husband. No, su- Kristen. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You tell me about their perfect marriage, and I'm like, Mm-mm-mm. there were no signs that the car had been broken into. Yeah, mm-hmm. as if someone had a key. It was as if someone had a key. Mm-hmm. So Amanda's mind immediately went to Anthony has found where I live. Oh, he came into my house. Yep. while we were sleeping, mm-hmm. he got my keys. And went out and unlocked my car. Like, this man has been in my home. Yep. He could attack me. He could do whatever. He could hurt my children. He could hurt my husband at any moment. That was it for her. She decided it was time to go to the police. Is it not the husband? Am I going to be an asshole? As I've been many times before. Are you going to be an asshole? <laughs> I guess I guess it's more of a present tense. <laughs> So she finally went to the police. Right. And contrary to what Paul had told her, the police were amazing. Hmm. She handed over all of her like email passwords and Facebook passwords mm-hmm. and everything. Mm-hmm. They saw the messages. They started looking into those. They actually upped patrols in her neighborhood. They installed a security camera on her house for her. Wow. They took it extremely seriously. Okay. Yes. Very unexpected. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, I've just, I've heard enough about stalking cases yeah. where it's just a horror story yeah. of like, and how do you know this guy? Yeah. And what did you do uh-huh. to egg him on? What did you, you show a little leg on that run? <laughs> how a supportive beanie, was huh? that sports bra? Okay. Okay. <laughs> just wore a beanie on the run, huh? Sounds like you're asking for it. <laughs> Fun fact, I run naked. No, oh, God. Just a beanie in my, my running shoes. Oh, God. Feeling like that's just asking to chafe, Kristen. <laughs> asking to chafe. No, I have a, I have like a, I, it's not a lube, but it's a you body glide. You put body glide on? Yeah, hell yeah, I do. Where Sports do you put bra. it on? Dim titties, like they, you know, they Dim run. Titties. You know, I wear a tight, supportive sports bra. Yeah. So, you know, if you wear that for, like, a really, really long oh. run and it gets really wet, then you get the chafing, then you get the red marks. And so, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I lube up. All right. Dim titties. <laughs> well, Amanda was doing that as well. I you guess. seem to not know what to do with this information occasionally. Between the thighs is a good thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> All right, I can tell when my stories are not welcome. 
Um, so Amanda has turned over all of these emails, all of these messages to the police, and they're like hitting the ground running. They're mm-hmm. looking into them. They're seeing if they can track them backwards, CIP dresses, you know, see all that technical gobbledygook that I don't know anything about. <laughs> I'm sorry, when you said CIP addresses, I heard C as in the letter CIP, and I was like, what's a CIP address? <laughs> I'm with you now. I'm with you now. But Amanda felt a lot safer having the police on the case and like that they were taking her seriously. Yeah. Because there was a point where she was like, am I blowing this out of proportion? Yeah. Like, you know, is this, should I really feel this threatened? But they, them taking it very seriously made her feel validated. Like, yeah, yeah, this is seriously scary. This is very creepy. What's happening? Yeah. One day, the investigators who were on the case called Amanda and they asked her to come down to the station. They told her they had some information about the emails that they needed to go over with her. Mm-hmm. And so she did. She came in and they sat her down and they're like, we have some information and you're not going to like it. Okay. And she was like, okay. And they're like, we've tracked um, the IP addresses on some of these messages and they're coming from your house. <gasps> They're coming from inside the house. They're coming from inside the house. <laughs> and Amanda's like, she was so confused by that. She's like, what What do you mean? That's not possible. Uh-huh. And they're like, we think that Anthony is not Anthony. We think it's your husband, Paul, yeah. pretending to be Anthony. Oh, God. Amanda was devastated. She actually was in denial at first she's like absolutely not of course there's that's not possible yeah this this had been so elaborate she'd also been getting messages from this woman who was saying that she was anthony's girlfriend threatening her all it it was extremely elaborate fuck off paul and so they're like we're going to arrest paul for stalking and harassing you Oh. And she's like, he's at home with my children, with our children right now. Mm-hmm. If you do that, you will traumatize them. And so they agreed to let her leave, go home, mm-hmm. separate her children from her husband, mm-hmm. take them to a different part of the house, and then they would immediately follow her and come take Paul into custody. Yeah. And so that's exactly what they did. They arrested Paul, and Paul was like, You have got the wrong guy. I don't know what you're talking about. I have just been here supporting my wife through all of this. I haven't sent any messages. Like, you guys, you've got the wrong guy. Mm -hmm. I am innocent. They released Paul on bail, but one of the conditions of his bail was that he couldn't see Amanda and he couldn't see his kids. Amanda really struggled with this because she believed Paul when he was claiming that he was innocent. She really thought that Ugh. Anthony had found some way to like oh, route no. the messages to look like they were coming from her IP address. Like that's what she believed in the beginning. Yeah. And I think that makes sense to tell yourself yeah. this can't be my husband that's no, doing that this to me. That would be so horrible. Yeah. My husband, the father of my children, yeah. has been harassing me, yeah. torturing me. Yeah. The person that has been comforting me through mm-hmm. all of this. A fucking psycho. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. While Paul is out on bail, the messages continue. Mm. She's still getting 
300 messages a day. Did she get any messages when he was under arrest? He was only he was under arrest for such a short period Uh because he immediately was released on bail. Wow. But he's like sticking to his guns. I didn't do this. You know, you guys have fudged this investigation or mm-hmm. Anthony's really good at technical stuff and knows how to make it look like it was me. I've been stitched up. Was Anthony a That's member what... of the Geek Squad? <laughs> <laughs> I'd never heard that term stitched up. That's what Paul kept saying. Is that framed? Is that I like assume that's British what that framed? means. It's, okay. yeah, it's Brit speak for framed. Stitched up. Stitched up. I kind of like I that. I like it too. Yeah. I like it too. While do you think we'll ever get to go to Engeland together? Oh my gosh, I want to go so bad. COVID has me so bummed. I know <laughs> we'll never get to travel ever uh, again because Americans don't deserve to travel. That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> I heard someone complaining about you know like America. Yeah, and, you know somebody was like, "If you don't like America, just leave." Uh, no, we can't. We leave. can't. Nobody will take us. Yes. <laughs> Um, one day, Mm -hmm. Amanda has decided she's going to go on a girl's trip just to like get away from it all. Yeah. She, I think she leaves the girls with her parents, you know, Mm -hmm. Anthony's out on bail, but he's not allowed to have any contact with anybody. I mean, Paul's out on bail. He's not allowed to have any (laughs) contact with anybody. Little (laughs) switcheroo. Whatever. So she goes to the Gatwick airport in England. Mm Mm-hmm. She's going to board a plane, go have this girl's weekend, whatever. Is she going with friends or is she just like, Yeah, she's going oh, with okay, friends. Okay. And she gets a message from Anthony. It's a picture of the entrance of the Gatwick airport. Oh, fuck. And so she oh, freaks out. Fuck. She's like, he's still following me. Uh-oh. It's not Paul. Mm-mm-mm. I know it's not Paul. I told the police it's not Paul. So she takes the information to the police. She takes the picture. Mm -hmm. And they're like, excellent. Because you know what airports have? A million security cameras. (laughs) Yes. Okay. And so they go to the security office at the Gatwick Uh Airport. And they have... You know, security cameras everywhere. They can watch every car pull in to the airport. They can watch anybody, you know, walk through any portion of the airport. They've got the CIPs. That's right. So they're on camera. They are able to watch Paul's car Mm -hmm. pull into the Gatwick airport. Mm -hmm. They're able to watch him get out of his car and walk up to the entrance sign and take a picture. Fucking They're able to watch him get back in his car and drive away. Fucking asshole. Fucking asshole. Finally, they have like yeah. solid proof that it's yeah. Paul. And so they bring Amanda back in and they show her this and she's stunned. She had been in such denial. She just, there was no way it could have been Paul. What a gift that was. No kidding. To finally have the proof right there. Yes. And so she's like, I can't, I can't believe it. I can't. You would just have a mental breakdown. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Paul still, of course, even of with course. that evidence, is like, well, I was, just making, I was just making sure Amanda got off on her flight, okay? Like, I, I wasn't, I didn't send her any messages. You know, I gotta say, I'm on Paul's side on this. 
In January of 2018, Paul went on trial for the harassment and stalking of his own wife. Um, A jury deliberated for less than 30 minutes Uh before finding him guilty of stalking and coercive and controlling behavior. He was sentenced to three and a half years in prison. The judge, Judge Christine Henson, said to him when she sentenced him, you are the author of your own fate. You watched your wife effectively crumble before you Mm -hmm. because of the fear she was experiencing from this online abuse. You pretended to comfort her. Mm -hmm. That is the most calculating and cruel behavior. Despite his conviction and sentence, Paul continues to deny Oh, shut his involvement. Up, Paul. Amanda says that the hardest part is reconciling that this man that she went to for comfort and was her rock yeah. for so long yeah. was the one that was doing this to her. And she has trouble also separating that from the man that she believes to this day is is an amazing father to their children. Oh. And she says her children are suffering horribly of because course. of this. Her daughters adore him. And it's heartbreaking for them because they don't, they don't really understand. They're not allowed to see him. Mm-hmm. And they don't understand why. And it feels like they're being punished. Yeah. Which is terrible. Amanda said she really battled with embarrassment over this for a long time. Which I think is just sucks. Yeah. Um, She was embarrassed initially when she thought it was Anthony. Mm -hmm. And then she was embarrassed when she found out it was her husband. Yeah. Um, But she decided that she's not going to let that overtake her life. And she's decided to own what happened to her and take control of her life. And she speaks out about stalking now to help others. Good for her. Yeah. And to not question yourself, to go to the police. Yeah. And she said... That she she's in therapy. She thinks she'll have to be in therapy for the rest Hell of her yeah. life. Yeah. And that she doesn't believe that she'll ever be able to have a relationship with someone again because of oh, this. Oh, no, no, no. No, Amanda. I know. I on. hope that therapy helps her with that. Yeah. Because that would be, that would be terrible for that to be the outcome yeah. of this. Well, and don't continue to punish yourself. Exactly. Exactly. She's a big fan of the podcast. Yes. So. Yeah. She's listening right now. <laughs> Uh, she likes how the, we pronounce English terms. Yes. <laughs> that's the story of um, a terrible stalker. What a total shitbag. Seriously. I hate him. Yeah. How can you do this how to could, the person you love? Yeah. Maybe there's not love there. I don't know. Or, yeah, I think I think there has to be some kind of motivation of, like, drawing them to you by this right doesn't that have to be what he's yeah tra- maybe what? you know what yeah maybe yeah. like i'm gonna make her depend, depend on depend on me yes i'm gonna control her emotional yeah. state i'm going to decide when to bring her up and when to put yeah. her back down yeah. hate it i guess i won't do that to norm no that's probably a good idea <laughs> Damn it, I had the Facebook profile all set up, oh. ready to go. Yeah, the links that he went to oh my by creating God. these fake profiles, these fake email addresses, and then he was going on and reactivating Amanda's Facebook account when she would deactivate it. I, I think you're confused, though, because he didn't actually do this. Oh, right, it was yeah. Anthony. Yeah, Todd. <laughs> he's, and he's Anthony's been, still on the list. He's been stitched up. <laughs> 
That's what he said at his sentencing. He still maintained his innocence and stood there in court and told the judge, I've been stitched up. This that doesn't me. surprise me. Yeah. When someone goes to these lengths, yeah. I mean, yeah, they're not, they're living in a fantasy world and they want everyone else to be in the fantasy yeah. world. Yeah. Did Anthony ever like, like the real Anthony? I don't ever? know if the real Anthony ever stood up. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. Please stand up. Please stand, stand up. up. <laughs> I can't remember the rest of that song. It's not important. <laughs> okay, first of all, do you know this story I'm about to tell you? Not based on that little tiniest tidbit you gave. Tony Karitsis? No. That, no? Doesn't do anything for you? I, ma'am, I told you you weren't allowed to do that case because you called double dibs on it. And you... <laughs> I ignored you. <laughs> okay. Um, oh, shit. Someone in the Discord suggested this. Hang on. Don't look it up, Brandy. Don't okay. you do it. <laughs> Don't you dare. Thank you, too. Ermagerd Kerber. Kerber. <laughs> in the Discord for suggesting this case. Um, I love this case. Oh. As opposed I'm sorry, to the ones kinda, that you usually hear. Yeah, I'm kind of tooting my own horn here. <laughs> and <laughs> also tooting. <laughs> um, yeah, guys, I'm I'm doing a pescatarian diet. Ooh, no, she the ate fiber tofu for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> the fiber is real in this house. <laughs> I could start a car. Um, anyway, huge shout out to the dog, okay, Brandy. <laughs> you guys, she just took a huge drink of water. You could start a car. <laughs> With the amount of gas. I get it. <laughs> I wasn't confused by it. <laughs> you weren't confused by my really sophisticated humor? <laughs> I'm just saying, like, yesterday I had to apologize to Norm. I was like, the amount of fiber I'm getting in my diet right now is really intense. Anyway, quit asking about it. So, here we go. Don't recall asking about it. <laughs> Huge shout out to the documentary Dead Man's Line, which is available on Amazon Prime, oh. if you're interested. Um, also, Are you sponsored by Amazon Prime, ma'am? Well, I would just, you know, if people wanted to go watch and, you know, they didn't want to spend the extra money, you know, there you go. Okay. Okay. Also, shout out to the website for the documentary, which was just a treasure trove of information. No. Also, thank you to newspapers.com and my mom and dad, you know. Yeah. Your sure. mom and dad. I, I realized the way I was thanking everyone, it felt kind You're of like, like an acceptance speech. Also, also my parents and my loving husband <laughs> and my animals. But yeah, I mean, basically this whole thing comes from Dead Man's Line. Excellent. Here we go. Brandy, let me throw a scenario at you. Do it. Let's say you buy some property. You get a mortgage. And at some point, you fall behind on the mortgage payments. Mm Mm-hmm. So the mortgage company works with you and they say, okay, pay this amount by this day. And that goes okay for a while, but then you fall behind again. And they work with you again, and you fall behind again, and they work with you again. And eventually they tell you, you know, we're just not going to work with you on this anymore. We're going to go into foreclosure here. Uh What do you do? I mean, you probably have to move out of the house, right? That's how that works. Oh, so you just roll over and take it, huh? Well, I mean, (laughs) you don't pay the mortgage, you don't get to live in the house. Hmm. Interesting take on this situation. Uh, May I humbly present to you a different way to handle oh, a foreclosure okay. all right here we go you squat is that the thing no oh okay. no no uh that's not the idea here no <laughs> this is a real 
outside the box <laughs> idea. Here we go. It was Tuesday, February 8th. <laughs> I'm sorry, February. I don't know what happened to my mouth. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Brandy's turned into a squeak toy. February. <laughs> Was it Russian or Minnesotan? You know, people said people said I didn't have the voice for a podcast, but look at me now, huh? <laughs> they said, Kristen, we don't want to hear ya. And now here I am with a true crime podcast, and I guess I'm doing okay. Alright. To all you little kids out there with your weird voices, you just reach for the stars. <laughs> It was Tuesday, February. <laughs> oh, you snorted. <laughs> February 8th, 1977, Brandy, in Indianapolis. <laughs> in Indianapolis, Indiana. You we're don't say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Margie. <laughs> we're at Meridian Mortgage, which is on the fourth floor of an office building located at 129 East Market Street. Hmm. Well, that's a cute little building. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like 8 a.m. and Tony Karitsis showed up at Meridian Mortgage and the admin staff thought it was a little weird that he wasn't wearing a coat. But whatever. They were familiar with Tony. He was a weird guy. And they'd seen a lot of him over the past four like years. of his body? Like a lot of his body? <laughs> no, I don't think that's what they meant. I mean, he was so fully like, clothed. When he came in buck naked, they were hey, like... He was fully clothed, <laughs> but there was like snow on the streets is what okay. I'm saying. So he showed up with one of his arms in a sling. And he was carrying a box from a department store. And he had a blueprint rolled up under his arm. And he was like, hey... I want to talk to the chairman. I want to talk to M.L. Hall. Mm. And the staff was like, well, he's in Florida on vacation, but you could talk to his son, Richard. The chairman is rarely in the office, Tony. That's the way it works when you're (laughs) the chairman. You get to sit on those fat checks and go to Florida. Yeah. So they're like, Richard is the director of Meridian Mortgage. He'll be here any minute. So Tony was like, okay, cool. Pretty soon, Dick walks in, and he's like, oh, freaking Tony. Mm-hmm. Everybody knew Tony. He talked and talked and talked, and he was weirdly suspicious of people. But hopefully, if he was there at Meridian Mortgage that day, it meant that he was going to make a payment, which would be a nice change of pace. Yeah. So at any rate, Dick's like, hey, Tony, how's it going? You can come into my office. So Tony comes in, and he's like, oh, hey, um, do you mind if I shut the door? My jockey shorts are just really riding up, and I need to adjust them. What? Yeah. You know how it is with your jockey shorts? You're always getting those in a twist. (laughs) And Dick was like, uh, sure. (laughs) Right, because what do you say to that? (laughs) I prefer you wouldn't. So Tony closed the door, and of course Dick looked away, you know, as he presumably messed with his jockey shorts. And when he looked up, he realized that Tony had pulled out a gun. Oh, shit. He 
He was pointing it at him. The sling was gone. The blueprints were gone. Tony ordered Dick to take off his tie and suit jacket and sit in his chair with his back to him. Oh, God. So Dick did what he was told, and Tony looped a steel cable around Dick's neck. The cable was wired into a sawed-off shotgun, which was now pointed at the back of Dick's head, and the cable went around Dick's neck and down through the shotgun's trigger guard and was attached to a ring on Tony's finger. What is this, saw? (sighs) Is he the jigsaw killer? This is the weirdest, most elaborate thing. Yeah. So this meant that if Tony tried to run, he'd be dead. Mm Mm-hmm. If either of them fell, he'd be dead. If law enforcement tried to intervene, he'd be dead. Uh If someone tried to shoot Tony, he'd be dead. Oh, my gosh. But why was Tony doing this? Well, you see, he'd bought 17 acres of land because he wanted to start a shopping center. He'd cleared out some trees And a grocery store had expressed some interest in setting up a shop there. And, oh, it was just going to be so great. But then the mortgage company stepped in and lured all his prospective clients away from him because they wanted the property for themselves. And they were taking advantage of him because, you know, he'd fallen behind on the payments, um, but they weren't giving him any leeway because of all the greed. Uh-huh. They were going to foreclose on him and sell the land at a profit. So it, it, basically, mortgage company bad, Tony good is uh-huh. what you need to know. But, okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. You seem like you're struggling here. Yeah, I'm I'm assuming mm-hmm. that Tony knows the way a mortgage works, right? <laughs> <laughs> and um, that payments are required. It's not like an optional thing. <laughs> I think that Tony is an entitled butthole, Uh but that's just me talking. Okay. So, you know, naturally, Tony had no choice but to make himself a shotgun booby trap and Mm -hmm. take Dick Hall hostage. Mm -hmm. Dick was terrified, but he remained calm. Meanwhile, Tony picked up Dick's office phone and called 911. Here is a transcript of that call. Okay. Dispatcher. Indiana Emergency. Tony. Sir, this is a dire emergency, a real serious thing. I've just taken a prisoner. It's not a crank call. I've got a 12-gauge sawed-off automatic shotgun. I've got a dead man's line on the trigger. There's three shells in the fucking gun. There's one in the chamber and a man with a gun on his neck wrapped around it with a cable that's holding the fucking safety in his hand. And if anybody yanks on me, yanks that gun, makes a false fucking move, we'll die right here. I'm mad at these motherfuckers trying to take me for everything I've got, but if you doubt that I'll kill him, you're reading me wrong. I'm a mad, mean motherfucker. My name is Tony Karitsis. Holy shit. Dispatcher. Karitsis? Tony. K-I-R-I-T-S-I-S. Dispatcher. Okay, where are you at, Mr. Karitsis? Tony. 129 East Market Street on the fourth floor in Dick Hall's office. Dispatcher. 129 East Market. Tony. East Market. Let me tell you something, sir. You tell these guys to play it cool because this is the real fucking McCoy. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Dispatcher. Oh, I believe you. Yeah. Tony. 
I hope you're recording all that, are you? Dispatcher. Oh, yeah. Tony. I ain't ashamed of a fucking thing I'm doing. I've got to tell you how fucking badly I feel about fucking with you guys like this. It's kind of hard for the average fucking guy to be able to understand this, but it ain't hard for my fucking friends to understand it because they've seen me die for four fucking years. Dispatcher. Okay. We just want to keep you as calm as we can because you don't want to... Tony, shit, baby, I'm calm. There ain't a fucking nerve in my body. Hey, let me tell you, I know I'm on a fucking long one-way dead-end fucking street, but I'll tell you one fucking thing. I didn't come up here to back down. Dispatcher, how many people are... Tony, you better tell this man not to jerk, because if he jerks, this fucking gun is gonna go off. There won't be no fucking trial. Dispatcher, Tony, Tony. What, baby? Oh, God. (laughs) By the way, the dispatcher is a man. (laughs) How many people do you have there with you? Tony. I just have one. That's all I wanted. Dispatcher. Just Mr. Hall. Tony. Yeah, just Mr. Hall. So then he kind of says to Dick, How many people told you I was going to come kill you? Did anybody come and tell you? Tell the truth. I told a lot of people I was going to kill you. Dispatcher, did you say you had the shotgun on his neck? Oh my gosh. Tony, hey, let me tell you something, baby. I didn't come up here to get fucked around. Now, if you think you can get this son of a bitch off of him without me getting what I want, you guys try it. If they move for that fucking gun, I'm going to tell you this man dies. They kill me. If they kill me, they kill me first. Then he dies. It's simple as that. I didn't come up here to start a fight with the fucking police department, but I'll tell you one fucking thing. I didn't plan this to look like a fucking idiot. So then he <laughs> so then he hands the phone over to poor Dick Hall. And Dick Hall, you know, gets the phone and he's like, okay. And he says in a very calm voice. I'm scared, and the situation is like he says, officer. It. So then the dispatcher goes, okay, okay, we believe him. We are going to get you out. Then Tony takes back over. I'm not trying to give you a bunch of shit, Dave. I think he forgot that Dick's name was, was Dick. Dick. <laughs> Pull a Kristen, it's okay. I'm just trying to tell you the way it is. What I'd like to do is walk him out of here, but see some fucking hero's gonna grab for me if I do. And when they grab for me, it's all over, because I've got number five shot in this fucking gun, and he ain't got a fucking chance. I'm gonna give them the same fucking chance they gave me. None. Absolutely none. I hope they don't think I'm bluffing, David. Do they think I'm bluffing? Hey! And the dispatcher goes, Yeah, I'm, I'm listening. Oh Tony. Gosh. Do they think I'm bluffing? Dispatcher. No, they don't. Tony. Because I ain't going to jail. There's no fucking way I'm going for no motherfucker. I've got my finger on the trigger and it's wired to a dead man. So, it oh actually goes God. on. I'm stopping it there. I'm, you look emotionally wrecked right That's now. That's crazy. So the call went on for a while. And of course, police and news crews headed down to 129 East Market Street. And it was a very tense situation. There were snipers everywhere, and police were telling idiots to quit sticking their heads out of windows. Yeah. But everyone wanted to see what was going on. And finally, the two men emerged from the building. The first, of course, was Dick, wearing a button-down and dress pants, Uh looking 
remarkably calm. Holy shit. And Tony was right behind him with the gun rigged up between Dick's shoulder blades. And Tony, by the way, was wearing a short sleeve button down and dress pants. Oh, okay. And he was like mean mugging everyone as they walked down the streets. And he was scowling and kind of looking around because Tony's intention was to take Dick to his car and get him back to his apartment. Oh, my gosh. But, oopsies. And we've all been there. Tony forgot where he'd parked his car. Oh, shit. <laughs> Which is a little embarrassing. So Tony had Dick turned, and, you know, they're, they're walking a different way now, and they came upon a parking garage. So they went into the parking garage. It seems like maybe he wanted to, like, steal a car from in there, but couldn't quite pull it off with the police right there, and, you know, no one had their car just running with the ignition yeah. in it. So... They walked out of the parking garage and just started walking around. These two guys with one with like this booby trap thing with the shotgun behind his neck. People tried to talk to Tony, but that made him mad. And so he kept walking and stopping and talking and walking and stopping and talking. And poor Dick was just standing there with a gun to the back of his head and a bunch of police officers standing around with their dicks in their hands. I mean, they, they just didn't know what to do. Yeah. It was so weird. And a bunch of detectives in plain clothes were walking along, and eventually a hostage negotiator stepped forward and tried to talk to Tony. And he was like, Tony, Tony, Tony. And Tony was like, what's your fucking name, you dumb motherfucker? Get back! Oh, my God. Get back. <laughs> so in this commotion, keeping in mind that there was snow on the ground, and it looked like it had been shoveled off of all the sidewalks, but there must have been some ice. Oh! <gasps> Because Tony and Dick fell. They slipped to the ground together and everyone was like, <gasps> but I mean, they must have fallen the exact same way at the exact same time because the gun didn't go off. Oh my gosh. So Tony and Dick slowly got to their feet and Tony reached for something along his belt. It was a pistol, a pistol that officers hadn't noticed mm-hmm. until that moment. This whole time, Tony would not shut up. He was like, I like police officers. Some of them are my best friends, but I've never seen a dumber bunch of bastards in my whole life. You guys aren't doing your job. You should do your job. You know, I mean, holy shit. It's wild. And the whole time, Tony's looking for a car. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Looking for some car to get in. Fuck's my car at. So for reasons that are super unclear to me, like I have thought about this a lot. I still don't get it. Police put a car a little ways down the road and left the door open and the engine running and like a big red bow on top. Oh, my gosh. Okay, no big red bow, but you get the idea. I get the idea. So eventually Tony and Dick made it to that car. But once they got there, Tony made one of the officers kind of lift his sweater just a little bit. And Tony took the handcuffs off the officer. And then all of a sudden there was a bang. (gasps) Someone had run their car into a light pole by the DQ. What? <laughs> they just ran into a light pole because they were trying to get a good look at what was going on. Oh, but it scared the shit. It scared the shit out of everyone because you know everybody's waiting for this yeah. bang and then they hear the bang. And I mean, no one's dead. It's just you know. Oh my god! Right by the hot eats and cool treats. <laughs> <laughs> at this point, 
Tony and Dick climbed into the car that the police had generously left running for yeah. them. Tony climbed into the passenger's side, through the driver's side, and forced Dick to drive. So the two drove off with a ton of police officers following them. And then they stopped at the Crestwood Village Apartments and got out. And Tony took Dick to his third floor apartment. And of course, police came up and a news crew came up and Tony was like, you better stand back. The whole place is wired. The whole building's going to blow up. Which sounds nuts. Yeah. But was the truth. truth. Holy yes. shit. So get this. He had set up like a network of strings all over his apartment. And the strings were holding lit candles. This guy's a fucking looney tune. And the candles were being held over containers of gasoline. Oh my God. So if anything disturbed the strings, the place would potentially explode. So they evacuated the building and they were like, boy, it sure was a good idea to give this guy a getaway car. Okay, can we stop? Why the what the what is the motivation there? I don't understand that at all. Part of me was like, were they think were they just taking a gamble? That he would go someplace less populated? Uh, Maybe. But even then, I feel like you can do more damage in a car. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what the fuck they were thinking. Yeah, I don't understand But obviously, this was a terrible gamble because they gave him the getaway car to get to his rigged apartment. Holy shit. So, the snipers couldn't do shit because if they shot him, they would break a window in the process and trigger, like, the mousetrap board game that was this guy's apartment and potentially the whole building would explode. Meanwhile... Everybody wanted to know what was going on. But all you had to do was ask the police. Because a lot of the police were actually friends with Tony. Mm-hmm. He went to the same restaurant where a lot of them got their morning coffee. So they were being interviewed by reporters and they were like, Yeah, um, I mean, the guy's been pretty pissed about this bad real estate deal he made. And uh, he's in some kind of bad deal with his mortgage. And um, maybe that's why he took Dick Hall hostage. What made this so shocking was that Tony had always been such a good, even-keeled guy. No. Yeah, no. No, he'd been a Looney Tune from the beginning. Turns out, a few years before this, Tony had held a city official hostage. What? Yeah, they just dropped that in the documentary. No big deal. He'd also held his sister hostage at gunpoint for two and a half days. And, oh, guess what? He'd once been arrested for assault and battery with intent to kill... Because I guess he got real mad at his brothers at some point. Why is this guy not in prison? Excellent question. We'll get to that later. Okay. Uh, so to, to break it down, he was just a not-so-white guy with a bunch of friends on the police force. Yeah. Nothing to fear. Nothing yeah. to fear. And he was holding a gun to a man's head in an apartment that he had booby-trapped. Yeah. Just a real cool, relatable guy. Ladies, he was single. I, I don't know how. <laughs> it is a mystery. <laughs> the good ones aren't all taken. <laughs> so he began making demands. What's he, want- he got? <laughs> what do you think? What do you think he wants? He wants his mortgage forgiven. Well, you're thinking pretty small potatoes. I mean, oh, it was only like 130 grand he owed. Okay. No, no. He wanted to face no jail time for what he was doing. Okay. He wanted to not have to get any kind of psychiatric help for what he'd done. Um, 
He also wanted the mortgage company to publicly apologize to him, and he wanted $5 million. Oh. (laughs) Yeah, that's... Sure. 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 Why not? Tony made all these demands, and of course he had the radio and TV going because the local news was basically the Tony Caritza show, and Tony loved the Tony Caritza show. Of course he did. At this point, the local DA held a press conference knowing that Tony would be watching. He had a friend of Tony's, a guy named Ford Chapman, who was wearing his baby bluest leisure suit, Mm. read a statement on behalf of Meridian Mortgage. It was a public apology from the mortgage company, but uh, it wasn't super grovelly, I gotta say. Didn't have a lot of soul to it. It was basically like, this is a public apology on behalf of us to you for any wrongs we have done. Now cut it the fuck out. I mean, it was really just... Do you miss the leisure suit? Uh, I did enjoy a leisure suit. I mean, they seem kind of fun, right? Yeah. Will they come back? Stay tuned. <laughs> I don't think I have to tell you that Tony was not satisfied with the I'm apology. Sure that he was not. So he called up his local radio station and talked to this local news anchor named Fred Heckman. And of course, Fred was like, sweet, an exclusive interview with the gunman. And he played the interview on air. Here is what Tony said in the interview. Are you ready? I'm so ready. I've been an angry man for 44 years. Nobody has had the adversity I've had. But in spite of that, and without arrogance, and without putting my friends down, and without being egotistical, I am the strongest man mentally that I know. Oh, yeah? (laughs) The average guy that would have gone through this would have had a heart attack and or a stroke. And or. These guys are lucky they're dealing with me because some nervous Norman would have already shot him. Poor Norman. Which is rude to Norman. (laughs) Yes. Now, I'll tell you what these people tried to do, sir. It's almost indescribable because the average man, he will not be, he will not be able to comprehend it. These people betrayed. They set me up. They schemed to ruin a life, a human life, my life. Oh, God. (laughs) This goes on. By the way, it is super hard to understand what exactly this mortgage company did to him. Yeah. I've kind of pieced it together from other things, but it it just seems like it was a standard thing that happens in mortgages. Uh Uh-huh. And it sucks to get foreclosed on. It sucks that you might lose this land that you've put payments on but like it happens and um he's saying like oh it's indescribable you couldn't possibly understand what i've been i'm the strongest man mentally that i know that he knows exactly brandy no offense to you but i'm the best person i've ever met (laughs) (laughs) so he's you know blah 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 bullshit and once he finished praising himself and shit talking the mortgage company he questioned the sincerity of Meridian Mortgage's apology. He was like, you know, they're just going to say they said that because I had a gun on Dick Hall's head. Which it's like, yeah, that's the that's the thing yeah, yeah. with forcing apologies at gunpoint. People yeah. are going to say whatever and it's not going to be super sincere. Yeah. Then he said... <laughs> I've made a lot of sacrifices in my time. I'm a 44-year-old man. I've never been drunk. I've never been married. I've never been engaged. I've never gone steady. 
shocking. <laughs> yeah, it's like <laughs> the thing I kept thinking. Okay, there's an episode of The Office where Michael's like, I've made so many sacrifices for this company. I never got married. I never had kids. And they were like, we never asked you to do, do that. that. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, really, were you turning down women right and left? Again, this whole time, Tony was holding Dick Hall hostage with his finger on the trigger, and he was demanding immunity from all prosecution. Mm -hmm. And the local DA's office was like, what do we do? So they decided to send in some defense attorneys and have them talk to Tony and try to represent him in whatever deal they could get done. But they couldn't reach a deal. By this point, Tony had held Dick hostage for like 30 hours. Oh, my God. And there was no end in sight. Deputy County Prosecutor George Martz held another press conference aimed at Tony. And in that press conference, he read a letter of immunity. <gasps> he said that the Marion County Prosecutor granted... Fingers crossed behind his back the whole time. <laughs> so he's like... And I mean, he's doing the legal, you know, the legalese and everything, granting him immunity from prosecution with reference to the abduction of Richard Hall and all subsequent acts done or alleged, blah, blah, blah. You know, if Mm -hmm. Tony quits his bullshit, he will have full immunity. We pinky promise. So Tony was going to emerge from this thing victorious. Oh, my gosh. He would get his $5 million. He wouldn't go to jail. He wouldn't go to a psychiatrist. Lord knows he didn't need one. Brandy, don't make that face. And he'd have his apology from the mortgage company. It was time for Tony to do a victory dance. What? So the deal was, Tony could have his little victory lap in front of the media. Dick Hall would read the apology in front of all the media with Tony right there if Tony would let him go and take the gun off of him. Uh Uh-huh. So finally, after holding Dick hostage for nearly three days, Tony came out of his apartment, but he still had Dick at gunpoint. Oh, my gosh. They walked to the lobby of the apartment complex. And this scene, I mean... Again, there's like a million news crews there. So, like, everyone is packed in there. It's hot. There's, like, cameras everywhere. The lights are on him. And he's got poor Dick Hall, who, again, is, like, as calm as a person can be with this, you know, wire, like, right on his neck. Oh, God. So the authorities did have a plan. It was to give Tony another getaway vehicle. (laughs) Sorry. But this time it was going to be a helicopter. What? I'm <laughs> no, just kidding. No. <laughs> no, so they brought Dick and Tony down to this media event, knowing that Tony might shoot Dick in front of everyone. Yeah. But they were going to try to stop that by, like, judging whether Tony was going to shoot him in the moment. I think this, this thing, to me, was horribly mishandled. Uh-huh. The chief of police was standing right there, and he had a handkerchief in one pocket and a gun tucked into the other. Uh And if at any point he thought Tony was about to shoot Dick Hall, he would take out his handkerchief, and that was the signal that he was about to kill Tony. 
His plan was to shoot Tony in the head. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, that would be the signal for this other guy, Mark, who was also a cop, to do his best to grab the shotgun and jam it before it could go off. Oh, my gosh. Which seems impossible to do, but that was the plan. Okay. So there Tony was. Nasty and angry as ever. Holding the gun on live TV. And he shoved some paper at Dick and he's like, read that, pal. Read it. But before Dick could read anything, Tony started squawking about how he had friends all over the country. Oh, Lord. And he wanted this on all three national channels. Dick began to read. It appeared to be some kind of, you know, admission of guilt or whatever. Uh, This was going to be the Meridian Mortgage's public apology to Tony. Dick got halfway through one sentence. And Tony was looking at all the people who'd gathered to see him. And then he was like, hold it, hold it. I want this thing to be understood. I'll read it. So he took the paper back and stood there with one hand on the gun and the other hand holding the paper and began reading. Oh, my gosh. And even though there were like a million microphones everywhere, he decided it was necessary to shout. Shout, yeah. Here's what he said. February 10th, 1977. I want a glass of water. So (laughs) good. Yeah, he's a little. (laughs) So then he looks back down at the paper. This statement is being made to try and state the items that Mr. Kritzis alludes. So then he looks up. He says, and I don't like that word. I charged and they admitted it. Then he looks back down at the paper. Alludes to as being illegal and unethical, unethical acts of the Hall group. Then he kind of punched Dick in the arm. This lease negotiation approved the Kritz Society had a definite interest in building there. Then he looks up again. Give me a drink, pal. Give me a drink. Oh, my gosh. And this guy stepped in and gave him some water, which he tried to pour into Tony's mouth like you would a toddler. Oh, Lord. Well, because, you know, he had his hands full. And Tony took a sip and nodded and said, and I'm sober, friends. I had six drinks in 1976 and I haven't had any this year. Then he goes back to reading. This was presented to us and was potentially a good business deal, but we found it impossible to agree on terms satisfactory to our best interest. And he looks up again. Their best interest. Oh, Lord. I went up there to borrow money to build a 10,000-foot restaurant that would have grossed between a million and two million bucks a year, and these motherfuckers shopped it to somebody else. Oh, Lord. I had a lessee who guaranteed me $100,000 a year rent, plus 10% over a million dollars, and I could have built the building for 220000 bucks and put $100,000 worth of equipment in it. Then he kind of calms down, mm-hmm. and he turns to Dick, kind of shoves shoves him with the gun and says, listen to this one. It's almost funny. This trooper right here. And then he drags this guy out of the crowd. Come here, Mark. Hell of a good friend of mine. A lot of friends of mine here seen me. Seen me every night. Three or four years out in a couple of restaurants around here having coffee. Too goddamn desperate to do anything else. So goddamn mad. Couldn't think good. And he was always wondering what was wrong. Now he knows. Right, Mark? (laughs) Mark. Mark. Poor Mark. (laughs) Mark kind of nods. And fucking Tony, who's standing there with his gun, smiles at the camera and goes, Hell of a man. Good cop, this guy. 
Then he dropped the papers. Oopsie. And Mark, the good cop, picked him up. And Tony continued. And this time he was just like full of sarcasm. And he touched Dick and said, This brave young man and his father would have said, Tony, I'll tell you what we're going to do. Because you're a nice fella. And because really, we love you. We wouldn't hurt you for anything. We'll take the cream. We'll take the front 10 acres there for $130,000. And you can have the back seven where all the hogs shit. Oh my gosh. This guy is a nut job. Yeah. Yeah. Mr. M.L. Hall, this gentleman's father, also states that he personally takes responsibilities for this, these improprieties. I'm going to frame that. I'm through. Then he threw the papers on the ground and said, where's my attorney? The room <laughs> was absolutely packed. Yeah. Uh, no one was speaking. So Tony kept going. He gave shout-outs to his aunts in Ohio. What? His Greek friends in Florida. Hey, how's it going? His army buddies in New England. Yo, what's up? He apologized to Dick Hall's family. And then he was like, well, but he had it coming. Oh, my God. (laughs) And he thanked all of his supporters. And then he started crying. Oh, no. And laughing. What? And crying. And laughing. At this point, everyone was Piss your pants nervous. Yeah. Then Tony asked Mark for help pulling his pants up. And Mark teased him that if he had a butt, he wouldn't need help pulling his pants up, you know. So. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. This whole thing had gone on for almost an hour. And Tony thanked his supporters once again. He apologized for his language and apologized that this had to happen. And then he led Dick into another room. At this point, the media was unable to follow, but the investigators stayed with Tony. So the media was out in the parking lot, and all of a sudden, they heard a shot. It sounded like a gunshot. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, it sounded like a shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> a shot. Uh, fr- from a gun. Yeah, uh-huh. from a shotgun, specifically. Uh-huh. Okay. And they were like, holy shit, he did it. He killed Dick Hall. Then George Martz, the deputy prosecutor, came out, and the reporters like were like, oh my god, what happened? What happened? And one of the reporters asked, is Hall out of danger? And George said, sure, we got him. He's okay. Another reporter asked, where's Tony? And George said, I have no idea. I don't know. I don't give a shit. <laughs> this is... Okay. Old-timey times. First of all, the fact that the media was allowed to get so no close kidding. to this thing is crazy to me. Yeah. Um, and then, like, I guess these were the days before DAs were super media polished. Yeah. Because, like, I loved it, though. This footage of this DA being like, I don't know. I don't give a shit. It's like, it, it was very real, but... Like, yeah. you would not catch the local DA saying this to the news today. No, not at all. He said he didn't know what the gunshot was about, but he could confirm that Dick Hall was safe. Turns out, as soon as they got Dick out of that contraption, Tony shot the gun in the air just to prove to everyone that it was loaded. Oh, my gosh. Yep. At this point, it was just Tony and the investigators. And the documentary didn't have video of this, but they did have audio. And it sounded like someone was getting out handcuffs. And Tony was shocked as shit. 
And he was like, are you arresting me? <laughs> but you pinky promised. <laughs> it's like, did you think that you could hold someone hostage for two and a half days at gunpoint and really walk away with nothing? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Walk with, with $5, five million. dollars. And the officer was like, uh, duh. Yeah. We're arresting you. Yeah. Duh. That was their official word. <laughs> so afterward, the reporters tried to ask the deputy prosecutor for more details about Tony's arrest. And he was basically like, I don't know. I don't care. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't there for that part. I'm just happy everyone's alive. Who cares? Yeah. And then one of the reporters asked, do you think this was handled correctly? And the prosecutor gave him a dirty look and the documentary cut to another scene. Oh my gosh. What what are your thoughts so far on how this was handled? Um Gosh, I don't know. I mean, it wouldn't be handled this way today. No. But I don't know what way they should have handled it. Well, I mean, they probably should have never given him that getaway car. <laughs> Yeah, I think giving him a getaway car was a bad move. Um, I'm shocked at the media access. Yeah. Like, the fact that all, I mean, it was live TV. Yeah. And you watch this thing, and I'm telling you, it looks like he's going to blow this guy's head off 20 times Yeah. in this rant. Yeah. And it's just unbelievable to me that this was just, like, on the news. And at some points, the camera guys would stop recording because they were afraid they were about to film a live, right. you know. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I don't know that it was the best to promise this guy immunity from prosecution. No. But at the same time, I mean, do you just say whatever the fuck to get him out of there? What do you do, Brandy? Because this is a real situation. It's happening two blocks down. <laughs> so then the Marion County prosecutor was interviewed and the reporters were like, okay, this immunity thing, that wasn't a real thing, right? Like that can't hold up in court. Right. And he was like, well, uh, we promised immunity and I'm going to have a statement on this at a later time. And I'd like to be able to collect my thoughts and be able to discuss it rationally. And I'm very tired at the present time, and I'd rather not discuss it. Holy shit. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah they oh, were, my They gosh. were a mess. They were a total mess. And the reporters were like, is there any precedent for this kind of agreement? And, you know, you say you're going to discuss this. Okay, when are you going to discuss it? And he was like, well, 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 I'll get back to you. Bye. But there was a news conference. Is this for real? <laughs> they really granted him immunity? Wait for it. Oh, my gosh. Wait for it. Wait for it. Get to it. <laughs> I have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> So there was a news conference, and people were still worked up about this immunity deal. Reporters asked, okay, what's the deal? You guys gave him immunity, but now he's in jail. What's happening? And the deputy prosecutor was like, yeah, uh, we wrote that document up, and uh, we had no intention of honoring it. Which he said it kind of sheepishly, but I'm like, well, no shit. That's fine by me. Yeah. I mean, 
this guy with all his booby traps yeah you say whatever to get out of the situation surely that's not legally binding i mean it was on official stationery so (laughs) (laughs) and a reporter was like so it was all a ruse to get him out of there (laughs) the guy was like well yeah dude no regrets yeah And they charged Tony with kidnapping, armed well, robbery, and extortion. Guy. I know. Okay, see, here's the thing. When I was watching the documentary, it really does have you going, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Is this guy going to get immunity? Yeah. At this point, Dick Hall entered the room with his wife by his side. And everyone jumped up and gave him a standing ovation. And he sat down in front of a microphone and basically said, well, that was nuts. Thank you for your thoughts and prayers. <laughs> it's amazing it's amazing you got to see some of this footage yeah I mean, he was just stone-faced the where whole did time. you say this, this documentary is available my ass at <laughs> myass.com <laughs> it's on amazon prime which i don't support jeff bezos but that's another <laughs> more commentary for another yeah. day what if it was just we just had an episode of people i don't support right <laughs> <laughs> So at this point, the guy who'd been Tony's uh, Tony's defense attorney was John Ruckelhaus. Mm. And John was like, look, Tony, because of my involvement in this three-day nut fest that you put us through, I'm going to have to be a state's witness. What's a three-day nut fest? Christian! Oh, my God, you're right. I'm sorry. I didn't even think about that. It sounds like a disgusting orgy. Oh, no. Oh, no. Hey, boys, come on for the three-day nut fest. What's wrong with you? Bring a tarp. Oh, God. Sorry, that's not what I... I have that written down. That wasn't off the top of my head. I wrote it down. did not occur to me that that was disgusting. Sorry, anyway. So he's like, I'm going to be state's witness. I can't be a state's witness and be your defense attorney. Yeah. So I'm going to hook you up with a new defense attorney named Owen Mullen. So Owen became Tony's new attorney. And Owen was like, okay, you know, here's what we need to do, blah, blah, blah. And Tony was like, no, here's what you need to do. And Owen was like, that's not how this works. No. That's not how any of this works. And Tony was like, well, I'm used to wiring a shotgun to someone's head and getting my way. And Owen was like, yeah, well, you don't have that anymore. And I hate you and I quit. Goodbye. (laughs) I'm going to this three-day nut fest down the road. (laughs) Sounds like a crazy day. (laughs) So then a guy named Niall Stanton became Tony's attorney. And Niall was like, okay, an insanity defense is our only play. Absolutely. But that pissed Tony off big time. Because he's like, I'm not fucking insane. I'm the smartest, most well-rounded guy I know. <laughs> yeah. No offense to my friends. Yeah. No offense to anybody in here. I'm the best person, person ever. I know. Yeah. A, a lesser man couldn't understand this. Yeah. A lesser man would have had a stroke and or a heart attack. <laughs> Which, who says and, and or? <laughs> so he's like, um, well, exactly what you said. I'm not insane. And Dick Hall deserved it. And that's the argument we need to bring to the jury. He deserved it. Yeah. Okay. And Niall was like, oh, wow, yeah, cool. Where'd you get your law degree from? Yeah, it's not a real legal defense. Yeah, the University of DeVry. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, no, that's not a legal defense. Yeah. Here's a fun fact, Brandy. I'm ready for <laughs> it. In Indiana at that time, when a defendant claimed the insanity defense, it was up to the prosecution to prove Uh. beyond a reasonable doubt that the defendant was sane. Uh Uh-huh. Which is 
Oh my God. Yeah. That's a very high bar. Yeah. To prove beyond a reasonable doubt that this person was sane. Yeah. Who did this insane mm-hmm. thing. So the trial got underway. And of course, the prosecution had a psychiatrist who said that Tony was not insane at the time he held Dick hostage. And the defense had a psychiatrist who said that Tony was insane at the time that he held Dick Hall hostage. And both sides did a pretty good job. But, you know, it's the way these things always are. It's the battle of the experts. Yeah. The prosecution also called Tony's sister, Effie. And Effie testified that eight years earlier, he'd broken into her house with a gun and held her hostage for two and a half days. And he demanded money, which, of course, um, he felt he was owed from, for some work he'd done at the family trailer park. Mm-hmm. And um, guess how this whole thing ended? How? Tony's brother, Tommy, testified and said that during the hostage situation, Tony gave them a bunch of demands. He wanted 55 grand. He wanted to face no jail time for what he was doing. Mm -hmm. He wanted them to assure him that he wouldn't have to go see a psychiatrist Mm -hmm. after all this. And they complied. Holy shit. And they did that because they were acting on the advice of police. Wow. Apparently, back when Tony held his sister hostage, his brother Tommy went to the police and told them what was going on. He told Detective Sergeant Frank Love, who was a family friend, and Frank was like, you know, if you've got the 55 grand, just go ahead and pay him just to get him out of Effie's house. Frank Love was asked about this in court, and he said that... Yeah, yeah, what... Okay, what what Frank Love have to say? He said that his suggestion, quote, seemed like the easiest way to solve the problem. Okay. I didn't write this part down, but he basically was like, you know, this was the most low-key way to handle it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it also teaches the person a pretty powerful lesson. Yeah. Do it again and get what you want. Exactly. Are you kidding me? Holy Hold shit. someone it's, hostage for two and a yeah. half days and you get 55 grand yeah. and no punishment? It's not a fucking mystery why he did it again. Right? Holy shit. And here's the funny thing. So... This part is all newspapers.com stuff that I got. But the documentary, you know, Tony kept talking about being friends with the police and friends with the police. And there's there was honestly a part of me that was like, okay, it's clear that they do have a relationship with him. But how much of it is like they just know him Uh and he's calling it a friendship? Yeah. Well, so then I found I found something written up on the documentary website from this Frank Love guy. Mm -hmm. And Frank was like, you know, oh, I think Tony got a bad rap. He was a really good guy, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, what the fuck? Really? So then I went to newspapers.com and lo and behold, fucking Frank Love is the guy who during this hostage situation was like, oh, just pay him the money. Yeah. And now to this day, he's like, oh, he was just a good guy. Just a good guy. Fucking idiot. Yeah. While he was on the stand, Frank was also asked about an incident where Tony shot at two of his brothers hmm. and faced no consequences. Uh-huh. And Frank was like, yep, uh, affirmative, but uh, that case got dismissed. Mm-hmm. So Tony had faced zero consequences for what he'd done. This is some fucking white guy justice. No Let me shit. tell you. The prosecution played a tape from when Tony was holding Dick Hall hostage. 
And in that tape, Tony was talking to one of his brothers, and he reiterated that he wanted money and immunity from prosecution, and he didn't want to be psychoanalyzed. And then he said, I want every fucking thing when I get out of here, like I did the last time I went to one of these. You remember that one, brother? Wow. Yeah. Huh. Uh, For what it's worth, Tony's sister and two of his brothers all testified, I think, pretty lovingly uh, about their brother. It was clear they were very concerned about him, very concerned about his mental health. And two of his brothers both said that they thought Tony was out of his mind when he took Dick Hall hostage. Yeah. Then Tony took the stand in his own defense. And it was nonsense. He said that what he'd done to Dick Hall was terrible and that he didn't want to do it and had tried not to do it. Oh, okay. Right. Cool. Cool, cool. (laughs) Cool, cool, cool. (laughs) (laughs) And he revealed some stuff about his childhood. His parents were very hardworking immigrants and they'd expected the kids to be hardworking too. Tony had to push an ice cream cart for 12 hours a day when he was nine years old. And that stuff with his sister, well, you know, she wasn't being totally real. That's not how it happened. See, they were pushing him out of the family and being real dickholes. You know, (laughs) he didn't say dickholes, but you get the idea. And he talked in a meandering way about what Meridian Mortgage had done to him. Again, I, it drove me crazy trying to get, make a, make some sense out of this. But Uh I think there's just no sense. Yeah. In closing arguments, the prosecution reminded the jury about all the work that Tony had put into his plan. He'd rigged up that shotgun. He'd engineered a plan where he would get off scot-free. The prosecutor said, Any person who takes such phenomenal care to protect himself from the consequences of his act shows clearly that he knows what he was doing. Yeah. He also said that Tony was pretending to be insane. Several psychiatrists who examined him after the abduction had said that he didn't exhibit any of the symptoms that he suddenly exhibited in August when his defense attorneys decided to use the insanity defense. Mm -hmm. But in his closing argument, Tony's defense attorney was like, "Uh, if Tony Karitsis made up this defense, he started when he was a kid. You heard about what his family was like. Wow. At several points during his closing argument, Niall broke down in tears. He said, I know. What? I hate that so much. He said, we admit that he did what he did. But Tony is not a vicious man. He said, Tony Karitsis knew in his own mind that the Halls were out to get him, to get his land. The jury went into deliberation. And they had a really tough time. Really? Yeah. You're surprised by that. I am. Why? I just think he's so clearly guilty. But is he sane or insane? Well, he seems like kind of a crazy guy, but I don't think he's insane. He knew the consequences, obviously, because he asked for there to be no consequences. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's what I keep coming... And it makes me uncomfortable... Because it's like, what do I know about mental health, yeah. really? But I do think, my God, he knew the consequences. Yeah. I 100% think that there are probably some mental illness issues oh, here. Oh, yeah. But 
He knew what he was doing. Mm -hmm. He knew what the consequences were of that because Mm -hmm. he asked for them to be removed. Yeah. Yeah. And he'd done this before and it had worked out great. Yeah. Whew. And man, he put a lot of thought into it. I mean, he didn't put too much thought into where he parked his car, no. obviously. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. the police helped him out, which was yeah. nice. So they came out of deliberation and told the judge, we don't think we can reach a decision. And he was like, go back in there, you little yeah. rascals. I bet you can. I bet you can, you little <laughs> so, rascals. <laughs> so they deliberated some more and finally came out with a unanimous decision. They found Tony Karitsis not guilty by reason of insanity. Holy fucking shit. (laughs) Yeah. Looking back, one of the jurors said, I don't think any of us were happy. Yeah. People were outraged by the verdict. And as a result of it, the law was changed so that when a defense uses the insanity defense, they have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that their client was insane. Mm-hmm. It's no longer the burden of the prosecution. Yeah. It's funny because I, I feel so strongly he should have been found guilty. But I understand if... I, I wouldn't be able to say beyond a no. reasonable doubt. No. Oh. I know, I would have made the same call the jury did if oh. those were the instructions. Mm-hmm. Gosh. Actually, I'm kind of a rule breaker, so maybe I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> but in the immediate aftermath of this verdict, the prosecution kind of scrambled and said, okay, if he's insane, then he can't just go free. He needs to be held in a facility. We need to do more tests. And Tony was like, no, I'm not doing any more tests. And they were like, cool, go home to your third floor apartment? So, for not doing those tests, Tony was held in contempt of court. All right. In mental health facilities for 10 years. Holy shit. Um, He was released in 1988 once a state judge deemed that he was no longer dangerous. And Tony died in 2005. He was 72 years old. Wow. Dick Hall stayed really quiet about this whole thing for a very long time, and he had a really rough time afterward. I bet. I do want to say this kind of reminded me of the Barbara Mackel Mackel case or Uh Mackey. Yeah, so I did that for Patreon. So this is a plug. Um, It's a subtle plug. You don't even know what's happening. You don't even know you're in an ad right now. (laughs) We don't even have the music going. (laughs) No, I wonder about these... 1970s juries and like if the victim doesn't have a mark on them no physical injuries then it's like oh they're probably fine they got off totally fine yeah ptsd wasn't a thing like oh my god yeah i'm sure this had no mental scarring on him yeah to be dragged around by this guy who's like oh my god oh I bet you anytime somebody says their jockeys are in a bunch, Dick Hall jumps, right? Goodness gracious. Sorry, that was rude. I don't think people are saying that real often either. Uh, well, but when it does, you know he freaks out. Um, so Dick Hall's dad died in 1979, and Meridian Mortgage fell apart after that. Mm-hmm. And after that, his wife divorced him. Oh, gosh. 
But then in 2017, he published a memoir about everything that had happened to him. Wow. I know. Like, nothing, 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 and then boom. Wow. And that's the story of Tony Karitsis, a bad, mean motherfucker. Oh, my gosh. That was nuts. But was it insane? No, I don't think so. (laughs) I don't think so. I don't think so either. Yeah. I mean, scary as hell. Oh, yeah. Not logic. Well, kind of logical, actually. Yeah. But, yeah, and I do think that there's probably mental illness at play there. Oh, sure. No. Oh, I'll tell you another thing. In this documentary, they, um, so one of his brothers, I guess, he still had a decent relationship Mm -hmm. with. This brother, I don't get this guy at all because he was really pissed that after his brother was found not guilty by reason of insanity, that he wasn't just let go. Okay. And he was like, well, you know, <laughs> in the documentary, he's like, well, you know, I don't really understand because, you know, the prosecution this whole time is tr- is like, oh, he's he's insane. He's insane. He's insane. Or no, he's he's sane. He's sane. He's sane. But then all of a sudden the verdict comes in and then they're arguing, oh, we need to do more tests. So doesn't that say something about them? It's like, yeah, it's. Just, <laughs> oh, God. It's just that your brother's scary as hell. Yeah. And they're accepting the jury's verdict and now they're playing that hand. Yeah. Doesn't say anything about the prosecution, my no. dude. I just, I don't understand. I cannot imagine having a sibling who did all this, including to a family member, and still yeah. being on their side. Yeah, I, I don't get it. Oh, my God. Well, you're going to have to figure out because Casey is holding someone hostage. (laughs) (laughs) Would you like to uh, take some questions from our Discord? Why, yes, I would. But what is Discord? What the hell are you talking about? Oh, it's um, it's one of the perks, one of the many perks (laughs) of being our patron. On Patreon. On Patreon. (laughs) Uh, It's patreon.com slash LGTC podcast. All right. Devin Quinn asks, how do y'all feel about pumpkin spice? Are you feeling the false spirit or not about that life? Okay, I love pumpkin spice. I want pumpkin spice everything. I just saw that Starbucks has a pumpkin spice cold brew this year. (laughs) Listen, if you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time, you know we're a couple basic bitches. exactly So yeah, we're into pumpkin spice. (laughs) That's exactly right. It is a little early for me, though. Because it's it's boiling. It's boiling hot. It's September. Bring on the spooky. (laughs) It's October, (laughs) ma'am. First Outlaws wants to know, what would it take to get Sheree Ray on? A shotgun rigged up to her. I mean, that's what it would take. It's never happening. Sheree Ray could not be less interested in being on the show. It's not really less interested. It's more like adamantly opposed. Yeah, it's not her thing. One day, when the world gets back to normal, here's my prediction. We will do live shows, and my mom will happily run a merch table. <laughs> she would, you know, if it's a folding chair situation, she's going to be folding out. You know, she's going to set out the chair. She will do the work. Yeah. But no, you're not catching Sheree Ray on a stage or on a microphone near you. It's yeah. not going to happen. Not going to happen. Ooh, this question is to me, but I think you're more equipped to answer it. Mm. Bresh wants to know any advice for curly hair girls. <laughs> 
Okay, I just told you this today. Yeah. I have gone on a YouTube, like, deep dive, watching all the curly girl yeah. stuff. So I have naturally curly hair. I fight it sometimes, and lately, every now and then, I'm like, maybe I should try to make it work, and then I get frustrated, and then I straighten it again. <laughs> but I'm thinking maybe I'm going to try to make it work. Yeah. Um, But some of the methods people... There's some crazy shit out there. Okay. Have you heard this no poo? Yes. Stuff? Which, first of all, why would you call it no, no poo? No poo. Yeah. Um, people, they mean no shampoo, which, yeah. why are we, why are why we, are we leaving out the sham? The sham? <laughs> I mean, that's, no shampoo is wrong, right? Yeah. I don't, yeah. Bl- I don't Tell believe me that's in that. Tell me that's nuts. Yeah, that's cocoa nuts. I think it's cocoa nuts. Yeah. So there's some wild methods out there. I don't know. I, all I can tell you is, I find the ladies with the best looking hair on YouTube, and oh my gosh, I've I've gone down a deep dive. Very there good. Is, there is one lady. Uh-huh. Now she has hair like a fucking Disney princess. Oh. So who am I to question her? But she's been on like this hair journey ever since Diva Curl like ruined her. Yeah. Um, she said that for the past six months she has spent between one hour and four hours a day. On her hair. What? Whether researching or just work. Can you imagine? No. I mean, we're both vain, but like, come yeah, on. Yeah, there's no. a limit. That's too much. <laughs> it's too much. Too much. <laughs> oh, I want to know this one. Okay. Okay. Heidi Fleiss's prison lover says, Brandy, Brandy, if you were all powerful, what is the one haircut you would ban forever? And if you could just... Give one type of haircut forever. What would it be? Ooh, yeah. Ban one haircut. Hmm. Probably the Karen. Yeah. Yeah. But there's a way. Like you can. Okay. So the Karen is like the very angled, symmetrical, uh-huh. bo- or um, a line bob. <laughs> they can't see your hands. Very stacked in the back. Right. You know, angled forward. You can adapt that, though, to make it a cute, like, edgy haircut. Uh-huh. Um, like, by texturizing it and bringing the angle down a bit or whatever, disconnecting it some. So there's ways to make that work, but just in general, the yeah. Karen. Um, it is actually kind of a fun haircut to do, though, because it's, like, very intricate. Uh-huh. And you have to, like, cut it perfectly for it to lay right. Uh-huh. So it's kind of a challenge, which I enjoy. It's a bit of a puzzle, which are I you, also enjoy. Are you talking yourself out I of am. your answer? Okay. I am. I don't. I don't typically love it on people, but to do I it, do is enjoy fun. doing okay. it. <laughs> you stand back. You're like, I did a great job, did and great. she looks like shit. She wants to speak to the manager. <laughs> um, one haircut. I, I think that's also the answer. That's the haircut I'd all, always like to give because it's such a challenge. This makes no sense. I'm sorry. Hmm. I'm sorry. Brandy. I also like to give a really good fade, so I could I could say that too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like a really, a really intricate fade where they fade it real low at the bottom and then you know keep some length at the top. I do enjoy that. Brandy, what have you given any thought to my business idea? I'm I'm not interested. Brandy, I feel like you haven't given it more thought. <laughs> you guys, here's what I want. I don't ask for much. So she just gave Norman a haircut. In my house. And I love it. I love watching haircuts. Yeah. I will YouTube this shit. Yeah. Yeah. Don't give me that look. It's so soothing. And you just hear the click, 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 Yeah, click, I'm click. so not interested and the in spray, your idea. Sh- <laughs> All I want 
is just a video on you at all times. <laughs> it sounds terrible. <gasps> You'd make so much money. No. For, how? A Twitch stream. Uh, of me cutting hair? Yeah, people would donate. People would watch. Oh, it sounds terrible. Mm-mm. Lauren D. asks, do you remember your dreams in the morning? I dream all the time and I remember them like every every morning I wake up from a dream. Mm-hmm. About me. No. Mm-hmm. But then I forget them quickly. Like I remember them immediately. Like this morning I, I was having a very detailed dream. But all I remember now is that London was getting sunburnt in my dream. Oh, that's a sad dream. Yeah. I was very stressed about it. Uh-huh. It sounds like you're a bad mom. Oh! <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> Do you remember your dreams? I mean, yeah, for like a second. Yeah. yeah that same way. Yeah. yeah. Do you ever write them down? No, because dreams are so stupid. Oh. <laughs> what do you think that's a controversial opinion <laughs> well you know like censored yourself there are people who are like really into yeah. dreams okay i feel the same way my mom does about dreams uh-huh. that like listening to people's stories about their dreams is like the fucking worst yeah i remember one time there was this episode of this american life uh-huh. where they had this lady who had like this list of like seven things you could not bring up in a conversation yeah because she just found it so tedious and boring and i like she sounds obnoxious uh-huh. but you listen to the episode and she's not so she had these rules like I don't want to hear about your diet. Yeah. And like this, oh, this diet, I'm on blue. No. Not Snooze interested. fest, yeah. not interested. I don't want to hear about your travel stories of like, oh, the plane was crowded and. Some guy shit his pants on the plane. <laughs> well, that's a great story. So she would make an exception for me. And yeah, your dreams. It's like, yeah. oh, wow, something that didn't happen. Happened, yeah. And now I have to sit here and be like, oh, I don't know what it means that you were a werewolf and then, you know, you got a sunburn. <laughs> Do you have any recurring dreams? I don't think so. Do you? I've, yeah, I have a couple. What are they? Well, ones that I'm trying to dial a phone number and no matter what I do, I can't dial it. Really? It means something. I've looked it up before. I don't fucking know. What's it mean, I think it's an anxiety thing. Well, I mean, Um, naturally. And then uh, I dream that my teeth are falling out. What does that mean? I don't, same thing. I think. I think. It's, I think these are all anxiety. Yeah. Things. Somebody's gonna. Somebody's gonna look these up for us. Uh-huh. Um, and then uh, I dream about bears. <laughs> Why do you dream about that? Bears are like trying to get in my house, and I'm like fighting them. Like I have a sliding glass door, which I don't have in my yeah, house. Yeah. And they're like I'm opening it and trying to like keep a bear from getting in. <laughs> well, here's my tip: don't open it. Right. <laughs> I think there's, like, something out there that I want to let in, but, like, sure. I can't also let the bears in. Yeah. I don't know. Mm. Damn bears. Damn bears. Oh. <laughs> Go ahead. Adjusted for inflation. Brandy, to ensure you are never sucked into a cult, have you ever thought about forming your own? What would it be, and what role would Kristen play in it? Norm, David, DP. Oh, what would Lord. our roles be? I don't be? know. Oh, my God. I, I'm so not interested in being the leader of a cult. No, no. That sounds terrible. You would mix the Kool-Aid. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I'd serve up the Kool-Aid. What would David's role be? Um, He'd be the guy that convinces people to join because it's just was, a really good time. I was just thinking he would be the recruiter. He would be. He would be the recruiter. Yeah. We'd send him out to the quick trip. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> He'd be chatting up. Yes. People. Okay, what would Norm do? 
Uh, oh God, Norm would hate that. Yeah, Norm would. Norm would be awful. Norm would have to be on the payroll. That'd be the yeah. only, and he'd be our audio visual guy, yes. and he'd be in charge of putting together the you presentations. Know. Sure, sure, <laughs> sure. What would you do? You have to answer that. You have to give me my role. What do you think? Knowing my various skills, mm-hmm. I th- you'd be our you'll be our PR person. Like when oh. the press comes and they're like calling us a cult, you'd be like, be like "These are the what? reasons we are not a cult." How dare you? We're a religion. Yes. My God. Yeah. <laughs> and last time I checked, this was America. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I think DP would be the leader of the cult. He would be. I'm sorry and he'd to also say. be our financial advisor. <laughs> Guys, you have to give us all of your money, and that's just the way it is. Okay, I think we've got a pretty good cult here. That's pretty good, yeah. Ford F1 Green Picky asks, Brandy, would you ever get a London-inspired tattoo? 100% already have my appointment scheduled to get it. Oh, do you really? I do, October 3rd. What are you getting? I am getting, um, like, a play on the London skyline. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Where's it going to be? Tramps? Uh, yeah, Tramps, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm going back and forth on locations. I think I'm going to go with Tramp Stamp, maybe right across my forehead. Mm, That's great. <laughs> no, for real, where? Uh, I'm doing like a shoulder cap type okay. of thing. Yeah. Nice cap sleeve. Nice cap sleeve. You know, I hate cap sleeves. They've never looked good on They're me. They're flattering on so few people. I mean, I feel like you got to have a real thin arm. Yeah. Like a rail. Real, yeah. And at that point, you might as well just go sleeveless. And not too broad of shoulders. Because otherwise it just oh, looks like, that's looks a, like yeah, a shoulder you're, pad type of situation. You're right. Yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, the follow-up question there is also, Kristen, if you had to get a tattoo, what would you get? Pass. Yeah. There's. She's not the least bit interested no. in getting a tattoo. Absolutely not. She can't even entertain the idea of what it might be, even mm. though she promised to get a <laughs> LGBTC <laughs> tattoo. <laughs> What did I promise you? <laughs> what did I promise you? And how quickly did I take it back? You took it back immediately. I started to get worried. Yeah. So the promise was once we had, what was it? I can't we had remember. some milestone. Some crazy, crazy yeah, milestone. A, a ridiculous goal. milestone. A ridiculous goal. Which we would never, I mean, we're never going to hit it. Yeah. But like, after a certain point, I was like, oh my God, what if I actually have to get a tattoo? That would be horrible. I would hate to have a tattoo and so you know i had to do takes backs <laughs> i don't even i mean surgery scars like yeah i don't like any mark on my body yeah. i'm still it's freaked temp- out by your these body's a fucking temple. thing that's right <laughs> it's a bentley as they say it's a bentley. <laughs> would you put a bumper sticker on a bentley i don't fucking think so <laughs> <laughs> made entry 2020 wants to know what's the most midwestern thing you've ever done I think the spring break trip we took to Branson was pretty yeah, Midwestern. Yeah, very Midwestern. I think we do a lot of Midwestern things. We do. Um, look in our fridges. There's no mistaking. Yeah. I've got two kinds of ranch dressing. I was going to say, no shortage of ranch dressing. <laughs> <laughs> you'll always find ranch dressing. You'll always find barbecue sauce. And if a restaurant charges me for refills, I am like, what the fuck? Yes. Where am I? Yeah. Yeah. Very Midwestern. Simarene one AR beautiful asks what's your favorite thing London does? She's actually started doing this really cute thing where she makes this clicking noise. It's like a noise, Aww. and if you do it to her, she'll do it back. Well, 
That's so, so cute. cute. Oh my god, that's baby. <laughs> Emily H asks, Kristen, will you self-publish if your book doesn't get published by doesn't get picked up by a publisher? You should. Exclamation point. So I'm working on my second book right now. It's looking like the first one's not going to get picked up, but I figure, you know, I've got an agent, so I'm going to try to get the second one published. If that doesn't happen, I'll cry a thousand tears and regroup, (laughs) probably write a third one and be like, maybe this one will happen. And then, you know, I'll have 15 books and then I'll self-publish all 15 at the same time. Very good. An entire catalog. Yeah. (laughs) You've got a built-in reader base i do i mean like i feel like some people here would would read the book which would be cool all the time but it's it's my pride yeah i get it my dream was never to be a self-published author my dream was to like charm the gatekeepers yeah you know yep not to be shut down by them and then be like (laughs) fine (laughs) in the nicest way possible yeah We really like your book. We just uh, don't don't love the book. for us. I'm sure someone else will love it. Bad, bad, real bad wants to know, do y'all listen to the podcast the day it comes out? We have to listen to this thing so many times during the edit process. No. No. Mm -hmm. No. (laughs) No. First, we say the words out of our very own mouths. (laughs) Then um, we listen to an edit. So I listen to one edit. Then I give feedback. Then Brandy listens to an edit, and it's all like Bing Bang Boom, really fast. Yes. Um, so no. So no. 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 <laughs> As if I want to hear us again. No. Well, and it's funny. So the day it comes out is the day we record. Yeah. So then we're back at That's it again, right. mm. listening to our asses again. Snap back to the lab again. What? <laughs> uh, Alicia N C wants to know. What do you think about Carol Baskin being on Dancing with the Stars? I confess I had no idea, but I love it. I'm so excited. <laughs> do you watch Dancing with the Stars? No, but I... You're going to watch it now for Carol Baskin? Well, probably not, but yeah. I just, you know, I'll you watch a clip on YouTube. On yeah, yeah. I'm not going to, like, sit down and <laughs> no. tune in. But no, I've never I've never watched a single episode of Dancing with the Stars, but no. I, I, might, I might like to give that a Google, see, see what crazy she's Crazy cats with. and kittens. I feel like, well... Do you think she's a good dancer? No, I doubt it. What makes you say that? Uh, she didn't seem real rhythmic. When? I don't know. <laughs> Just in general, she doesn't really seem like she's got like a good, like, you know, rhythm to okay, her. Okay, okay. <laughs> I mean, maybe she shoveled her husband's body into <laughs> the of his mouth. And I don't know. Nice she was real into shit. that real shitty music video she made. So for Oh, see, you watched Tiger King twice. I watched yeah. it once. Yeah. So she had that lady make that weird music video at uh-huh. her sanctuary. Right. And she was just sitting there on that couch, just loving it. Um, and it was terrible. So I'm guessing her taste in music, i.e. rhythm and things that sound mm-hmm. good, might mm-hmm. not be that good. Okay. Fair enough. That's my that's my guess. Okay. okay. I'm also guessing she's going to have some pretty elaborate animal print costumes. It would be a crying shame <laughs> if she didn't. An absolute crying shame. <laughs> hey, should we do some Supreme Court inductions? I think we should do some Supreme Court inductions. Excellent. You guys know how to get in here that's at right. the $7 level. You sign up, you get all kinds of benefits including 
being inducted on this very podcast. And this week we are sticking with your names and favorite books. Yeah. What are you going to do? Some names this time, Kristen? I've done names forever. Oh, I guess I have no choice but to do names because you're a big baby. Christelle Lopez Berryman. Intensity by Dean Kuntz. Casey House. The Harry Potter series. Micah. Zammy, a new spelling of my name by Audra Lord. Kim Palmer. To Kill a Mockingbird. Joanna Coyne. Jurassic Park. Sarah Garski. Tuesdays with Maury. Jennifer Bennett. The Princess Bride. Rach Powell. Baby Island. Sloan Smith. Anything from Sarah J. Mass. Molly Mason. The Beautiful and Damned by F. Scott Fitzgerald. Sarah Clower. The Great Gatsby. Sandy McKinney. Good in Bed by Jennifer Weiner. Bridget Martinez. Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Welcome to the Supreme Court! Thank you guys for all of your support. We appreciate it so much. Um, If you're looking for other ways to support us, please find us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, Patreon. Um, Please remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. And then head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. And then be sure to join us next week. When we'll be experts on two whole new topics. Podcast adjourned. And now for a note about our process. I read a bunch of stuff, then regurgitate it all back up in my very limited vocabulary. And I copy and paste from the best sources on the web, and sometimes Wikipedia. So we owe a huge thank you to the real experts. For this episode, I got my info from the documentary Dead Man's Line in newspapers.com. I got my info from an interview with Amanda for BBC Outlook, MamaMia.com, The Guardian, The Bexhill on the Sea Observer, the Sun and the Daily Mail. Mamma Mia! <laughs> For a full list of our sources, <laughs> visit LGTC Podcast. <laughs> Any errors are, of course, ours. Please don't take our word for it. Go read their stuff. 